namaste and good evening to all our listeners the rural post is back again with yet another interesting podcast in countryside series your host for the evening is pratyasha for today we have our wonderful guest gauri wagner she is an art historian currently associated with competitiveness mindset institute she has been a visiting faculty in various organizations such as sac university united world institute of design and kathy school of design she set up her own consultancy firm known as dani consultancy a true explorer of life choices and she definitely sets a solid example of how learning is a lifelong process welcome to our podcast ma'am thank you so much pratyasha so the first question will be the most basic one what do you mean by design thinking in general inferring from your experiences and knowledge and why do you think it is gaining popularity in recent times design thinking creative approach to solving problems normally speaking a lot of solutions are sought within the domain knowledge of somebody and usually it's one person you know applying his mind or her mind to solving that problem but with design thinking uh, you look at much larger problems and you look at much creative way or you could even call it a democratic way of solving a problem where you involve all those who are affected by that issue and allow them to give their inputs and then from there you take it forward so it's a very out of the box way of thinking it's a collaborative form you could say and from my experience you could say that very large companies who have to turn around their current situation from let's say making exterior uh, materials paints and things like that and they would like to shift to what is now becoming more popular is uh, the wall cladding so how would they approach and what should they do to make their company turn around and get everybody on board and this is when something like this is applied gaining popularity because it comes up with sure shot results which are good for every department of a company in that case so let's say when the marketing the sales the production the management everybody is on the same line and know what their future is going to hold and who is connected with whom then of course the solution becomes workable and that's why it's gaining popularity thank you ma'am uh, it was really great knowing that such an innovative concept can be applied in companies and different sectors so proceeding towards our next question how do you think it can be applied on policies and uh, programs specifically in rural context a rural context is not very different from an urban context in that in in the way that you approach a solution if there is a highway going through a village and look at the traffic issues that happen within the urban scenario they're very similar and it would mean that people who live along that highway and people who are uh, part of the local community as well as the local government all need to come together and take a decision on how they want to solve the problem at the same time looking to the issues that uh, would you know enhance their local community for example if you have dhabas along the route then how would uh, you know uh, segregation of the road from built environment affect them so these kind of issues and they would come up with their own solutions and those solutions would be things that they are happy with that they feel that address their problem and so when it is worked out and implemented it would actually work to their benefit basically you are saying that we can tweak the same solution what we apply in urban spaces so that we can just uh, set the problems and issues in rural yes. space what is interesting in this is that you have a good facilitator 
if so the person who is guiding the thought processes and the argumentation and how people deliver their ideas and organizing that part that role is very very important in this process okay ma'am it was extremely insightful now in recent times uh, we all have been affected by the global pandemic so my next question is based on that uh, do you think there are any changes in applications of uh, design thinking approach post covid 19 situation and how this approach is gonna affect the rural livelihoods well i don't know if any of these processes have been used currently to resolve such issues one would have been the way to approach the whole migrant movement where i'm sure that had they come together and discussed this situation before just telling people you can go home now and making transport available causing almost a chaos for a lot of people so uh, i think had we you know had a good approach that was systematic and even though the result would have been a linear process but the way of approaching it to think about all the issues that were related for example how are you going to supply food and water to these people who are on the move how are you going to ensure that they reach their destination uh, without falling ill how will you take care of women and children on the move at this point all these issues that were there should have been addressed for the safety of the people who were on the move but also for the management system to be able to do this very smoothly now you have a whole population that has returned home with no idea of what they are going to do once they have reached home rural livelihoods is a very important part now when a lot of them don't plan to come back to the cities what are they going to do when they are there because usually if they have been in an urban situation they have become used to a certain lifestyle where certain amenities are available you know easily available even and which may not be the case in their village when they go back will this cause mental distress will this uh, lead them to you know going and doing uh, criminal stuff or will we be able to contain that all these issues can and should have been addressed but um, probably we will come to them as as we progress you know and come out of this lockdown Okay ma'am so what do you think the government could have done more uh, to address this migrant issues or like anything to uplift uh, the rural economy in these uh, rough times Usually I'm going to a village uh, near uh, Udwada and where I'm part of a running a school over there for the children the poorest children from the neighborhood which are the children of fishing people who live along the coast and usually what happens when we look at education is that we always of course want them to be able to read and write and count but we forget that they come from a community they come from an area that has and requires other skills that whole area is full of uh, orchards and nurseries mostly orchards growing mangoes chikus coconuts and of course fishing is being done and now a lot of it is also aqua farming those skills that they require for that are not being taught at school when you talk about iti programs that the government offers they're usually more technical related but a lot of it has to do with soft skills which we completely ignore say in the urban scenario if you need to have a blood test or urine test or whatever done then you can call the pathology lab and they will send somebody to your house to collect the samples in the villages where uh, hospitals are even further away or uh, such lab services are even further 
away, they have no such services. The person is expected to go to the lab to give the test, right? So why is it not that we bring these kind of skills where it helps the person become economically independent, it gives them job that uh, they can fulfill for their own community instead of making all of them factory workers. You get my point? There's a lot of community building that needs to be done in the rural side, which we are completely ignoring, I feel, often. If we could kind of get a lot of people together from the communities in those areas and discuss with them what are the needs of their community, where is the lack in comparison to the nearest urban area that they would have to you know, refer to, then you would be able to list a couple of things that are required in these villages and towns and create those services and facilities that help a community stay, you know, strong and intact and does not require then the next generation to move into factories and move to urban areas, but where the resilience of the rural community is strengthened. So we can uh, also like build up on the traditional knowledge, what is indigenous, so that they can also sharpen those skills and probably use it for being economically independent. Exactly. This village where I work uh, with the school is very close to Daman. So uh, there is, of, of course, a form of tourism that happens over there. And there are some sites also that are very popular over there, but nobody knows about them. So I could even imagine local people becoming tourist guides for people coming in from Surat and Bombay and places like that. Take them to see waterfalls, take, take them into the local dung forest and explain to them about the local flora and fauna. There is so much that can be done because we are losing so much contact with our you know, immediate environment these days. And these people who are living so close to nature could help us to re-understand what our nature means to us. Okay, ma'am. Thank you. That was really insightful. Uh, so concluding the podcast with my last question, what should be the approach for anyone, maybe development or corporate professional, to learn the concept of design thinking, like the basics and where to start? I think uh, what is very important is that you always approach it with everybody who needs to have that problem solved. So sometimes a problem that you see in marketing and sales may not be a problem that is related to marketing and sales, but could be a problem that is uh, starting out somewhere in production or in the design phase itself. So, you know, if you have everybody sitting together plus the decision makers, then you can expect much more creative solutions that will work for everybody and the company. Uh, for example, a wicked problem like traffic in a city, which we always say impossible to solve because it's true. We, we drive like maniacs. The same people, because if the moment you work in traffic, people will tell you in India especially that you can't change Indians and it will take decades and decennia to change the mindset of the Indian driver. However, the same person who, who drives in India, you put them on a flight, let's say one and a half hours to Dubai or to Singapore or something like this, and the moment they step off the aircraft, their mindset is adjusted and they behave as they should in that country by the norms that that country expects. So a mindset is something that is perceived and it can be changed and it can be adjusted with the right motivation. How I also look at solving such problems that if everybody gets together and says, no, no, this is our law and we have to abide by it. No subsidies, no lollipops to be given. Like 
you know, if you are found wearing a helmet, you should be encouraged by allowing you to do something else. No, the rules and regulations that are there are for your safety and we should be abiding by that. But if we are not, what is that mental issue that is allowing us not to do that in India? This is something that we can collectively solve. So the police, the RTO, the government, people, stakeholders from the cities, everybody has to come together and brainstorm about it and come up with all the reasons why this is going wrong. And then the solution that will come out of this should work for everybody. So basically being very problem specific and tackling it and getting into a common consensus by all the stakeholders. Yes. Yes. So you have certain people who visually put down all these thoughts that people come up with and uh, that suddenly all of a sudden makes it much nicer and easier to communicate and understand each other. So it's a very graphical form of, uh, let's say, uh, minute make taking of a meeting. Okay. Uh, on uh, the given scenario, so it will be very helpful like if uh, someone is interested in design thinking, so they should start with relevant webinars and podcasts and articles. No, I would say that they should, uh, let's say even if you have an institution, let's say in a class where you're given a project task, then that group that works together on that project, they should actually, each one should list down what they think are uh, first the problems and then from there list out each one thoughts on how they could be resolved. And then how would you prioritize that information, you know, step by step. So it, it should be a collective, a democratic manner of approaching it. And it should involve people with different backgrounds, different identities, different thinking, so that you kind of address the problem as widely as you possibly could. And you should encourage people to think of the most outrageous solutions that they could come up with. Because, at, you know, when you think of them, you think, oh, my God, that can never work or that's too outrageous. But you never know. Somebody else may have an input on that that actually makes it very simple. You know, usually we say many cooks spoil the broth, but sometimes uh, many cooks could help you make a superb broth. Thank you. That was really a nice tweaking of a very popular proverb. It was really an enlightening experience talking to you about design thinking and its applications. And I want to thank you for taking out your valuable time and giving us this fantastic podcast. We wish to foster more such interactions with you. And lastly, I would like to address our listeners. Don't forget to check out our website, theruralpost.org, to know our journey of unfolding rural India. Signing off.